did not smell. I did not smell the the, ga- uh, the gas or the egg smell. I didn't smell that until I got in the building. Actually, then I then I smelled some of the some of that gas smell that's apparently just like hovering over like large portions of Charlotte. So I didn't smell it till I got in today, and so I just you know because you know me, I am a giver. And I'm all about solutions. I went down to the the break room and I used the brand new microwave and I uh, and I microwaved some fish, just you know to mask the smell of the gas. I thought that was well, and then and then I went and burned a, a bag of popcorn just to be safe. That's the kind of guy I am. I mean, the term hero is overused a lot nowadays, but in this circumstance. I think it applies. Hey, welcome to the program. Uh, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Thanks so much for hanging out. I appreciate it. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Those are the phone numbers. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com and uh, on Twitter at Pete Callender, which is where I do most of my work. So after the Dobbs decision, after the Supreme Court Ruled uh, overturned Roe v. Wade, said it you know it was never constitutional in the first place. There was no right found in the in the Constitution under that flawed rationale. You know, fifty years ago, uh, the Dobbs decision. One of the things that I said immediately after that ruling came down is that we're finally going to get to have and hear the debate, which has largely not occurred. In American society, it really hasn't. There, I mean, people have gone out and protested, pro-life people have gone out and protested every single year, pro-life activists and such. But a lot of people on the you know choice side have not had to engage in the debate. They just get to say, I'm pro-choice or I'm for a woman's right to choose. And they sort of check the box and people at the dinner party say, oh, how good you're pro-choice. I am too. And then and then that's it. And then, all right, maybe they'll throw in some, you know, slurs about those knuckle dragon mouth breathing uh, pro-lifers. But that's been the extent of it. There hasn't really been this engagement on the issue and discussion of the issue and the underlying uh, the underlying philosophy. And the, the central question I've long argued is when do rights attach to the to the unborn child. What, when, do, when do human rights begin? That's the question. Because after the baby has human rights, you, you don't get to kill it, right? Because you don't get to kill innocent life outside of the womb. You shouldn't get to kill innocent life inside the womb. And so the question is, when is it a life? When, when do the rights attach as such? And so now we get to have this debate. And... From what I am witnessing, Democrats and the the pro-choicers are totally unprepared for this, right? Like, guys, you had the advanced leak of the decision. You had five months to start working on, you know, some, some responses or some arguments. And, like, what did you do with that time? Besides fundraise, yes, the daily emails, you fundraised all the time, um, and they still do. They're doing it this week. Did you know this is a, a week of, of action? Hang on, I got the email here. It came out of the North Carolina <clears throat> Democratic Party. Uh, 
the chair, Bobby Richardson. Uh, she will be joined by um, to, to, to Senate District 42 candidate Rachel Hunt, uh, the daughter of the former governor, Jim Hunt, and president of the Democratic Women of North Carolina, Elizabeth Goodwin, doing a news conference. And uh, throughout the week of action, they say Democrats in North Carolina and across the country will engage supporters and mobilize voters with reproductive rights on the line. Again, these... This is not reproductive rights. And so this is what we have been treated to. Rather than a debate on the central issues, what we are getting is fundraising appeals and the real-time testing of euphemisms, just on-the-fly focus groups, essentially, throwing out terms, you know, birthing persons, capacity for pregnancy, but this one is the most infuriating. It's reproductive health care. That's not what's happening. By their own admission, that's not happening. That's what they're fighting against is the reproduction, right? It, it's termination care, if you want to call it that. But it, that's, that's a more accurate description of what it is that you're advocating for, the ability to terminate, right? Because if, if, the, if abortions were banned in every state, in any case, across the board, everybody has to have uh, the baby, right? Total reproduction. The care that you receive during the pregnancy, that would be reproductive care. But when you go to terminate the pregnancy, that is no longer reproductive care. It's termination care, right? I mean, words have meaning. I know this is a shock to a lot of folks on the left that just constantly conjure up new definitions depending on uh, the short-term political gain. But... This is pretty important, and you kind of seem silly when you run out all of these different euphemisms and they just change from fundraising appeal to fundraising appeal to congressional testimony to press conferences. They're just running out all of these different terms, trying to find one that masks what exactly is occurring in the process. The press release says, from the top ticket U.S. Senate race down uh, the ballot, Organizing to elect Democrats like House Representative Rachel Hunt is the backdrop to protecting abortion rights in North oh, There you go. Abortion rights. Call it that. That's a much fine. You want to you want to use that term? Absolutely. That's more accurate. But reproductive health care? No. No, no, no. It's not what's happening. There was a uh, and this is part of the week of action. There were several hearings up on Capitol Hill about this topic. Uh, one was in the House Oversight and Reform Committee, Government Oversight and Reform Committee, and uh, another was in the House Judiciary Committee. Now, one of the members on the House Judiciary Committee is Deborah Ross. Deborah Ross, former state lawmaker, ran for Senate. Um, now she's a, she got, uh, 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 the, she's a member of the House, and uh, I'm trying to remember the district it essentially was gifted to her, if I recall correctly. Anyway, uh, Deborah Ross is now uh, up in D.C. And she made two comments that one of her colleagues on the Judiciary Committee, Matt Gates, the Republican from Florida, Deborah Ross says two things that prompts Gates to question her. And it does not go well. And I believe she's a lawyer, <laughs> so but it did not go well. I have the sound bites from her, and I have Gates's shredding of her and um, 
another Democratic congresswoman, uh, Karen Ruth Bass, who actually sponsored a piece of legislation that was up for the debate. It's about women in prisons getting access to abortions. Okay, that's the backdrop. We'll take a listen to the audio in a second. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Play for you the uh, audio in a second first. Let me jump over here to the uh, phone lines. Is this Dr. Johnston? Dr. Johnston, I presume? Thank you so much for having me on. First time caller, and I really appreciate it. Sure. Now, I really like something you said a moment ago. I would love to entertain that subject matter a little bit longer. You said that in the pro-life, pro-choice debate, Hold on, I'm going to take you on speaker. And in the pro-life, pro-choice debate, the people aren't really debating the subject matter. That it's all obfuscation. And I really could not agree with you more. And uh, I would like to, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, my experience. I've, I don't want to formally moderate a debate on this subject. And it's very difficult. Abortionists, abortion providers, the... Um, workers to ever debate subject matter if you allow photography and videography. You know, they want to focus on slogans and obfuscate anything except when does life begin, the subject matter there, when does life begin. And even a lot of pro-lifers, unfortunately, are, think it's a matter of religious opinion, that it's subjective, that it's ambiguous, that there's really no objective standard. Um, by which we could say with certainty, this is when life begins. But scientifically, it is objective. Right. At conception, that's my view on it. But, but, and this is, right, but this is why the, this is why the question is about when rights attach. Yeah, well, a lot of um, medical scientists would, um, would say, you know, even in, um, even in cases wherein, um, let's say, if you have an accident on the way home, and let's say you're hooked up to a machine, mm-hmm. and let's say your wife says, oh, he's dead, mm-hmm. he's brain dead, he, he's not alive, and your kids say, no, say that. There's medical criteria that's objective to determine whether you're alive or not. Do you have a spontaneous heart rate rhythm? Mm-hmm. And do you have measurable brain waves? And spontaneous heart rhythm as far back as 1986, we can say is 21 days post-conception before the mother even knows she's pregnant. And according to an a article in Journal of, Me- of American Medical Association in the 80s, brain waves were measured 40 days post-conception. That's about the time the woman gets a positive pregnancy test and starts having symptoms. But... Um, I'm pretty impressed with the fact that you have, you are enlightened on that subject because most people do not aware are unaware that that subject matter has not really been entertained in the press no. or in the public, and that needs to be the focus in our state by state battle for justice for the unborn. Well, I think that's this is why uh, I welcome the decision. I don't know how it's going to shake out in, at, at you know the state level here in North Carolina. I don't know how it's going to shake out in other states. Um, but the debate, as we're now seeing, it's not going well for the pro-choice side. And I said, you know, I've said this before that 
the uh, they got flabby. They got they got lazy. They, they didn't have mm-hmm. they didn't have to argue these positions, and that's why I've cited this before. The videos uh, that David Delighton put out from uh, the Center right. for Medical Progress of the Planned Parenthood clinics and the selling of the baby body parts and all that. Yeah, good stuff. Right. I mean, that's that. It forced a discussion about the practice and about what was actually going on when a lot of times, and look, talk radio, guilty of this as well, that the topic was avoided. And the, the, the conventional wisdom was always, well, everybody has their opinions about it, so it's just too emotionally charged, it's settled law, just don't, don't touch it. And that's not the way you move people by persuasion, right? That's ignoring the subject doesn't persuade anybody. And, and for a long time, one right. side of the debate got to do so, and the other side kept pushing, kept arguing, kept challenging. Right. Yeah. It will entrench. Unfortunately, when they obfuscate, it entrenches people who are pro-choice on the subject of abortion. It entrenches them in a delusion. You know, if you focus on rape and incest and mm-hmm. these exceptions, they pull on your heartstrings, make you sympathetic with the mother, and definitely don't want to bring the, the justice system down on her for getting an abortion. Right. One thing I, I did when I debated in med school on this issue is... I, I presented a scenario where, and I, I said, okay, I'm holding a premature baby in my hand. 30, born at 36 weeks, gestation, in the womb, this baby would not have the right to life. Let's say this child was conceived in rape, and mother didn't want the child. Child wasn't wanted. Child had health problems and would be handicapped. Would anyone say it'd be okay to, to just kill this living child that I'm holding in my hand? And not one of the, of the students said, yeah, you should be, mother should be allowed to kill that child. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, the same child in the womb, is it then okay to kill the child? Well, yeah, and so that, because it's inside no the, pump- right, but, and, and this is, so this is where they retreat to the language of, you know, my body, my choice, because it's inside right. their body, and it allows them to sort of dodge the the fundamental ethical question that you're that's again at the heart of your analogy your question which is does that baby have rights is it simply a matter of geography or is it gestational yeah. right if if the presence yeah. inside or outside the mom's body is the determining factor then what's the limiting principle on that if there's right if it's simply geography then that means what up until the moment of birth does that mean half in, half out of the mom's body? Then you can still kill the baby. Is that still acceptable? Like, where's right. if it's simply geographical, then there there's no limit to what you can do because the baby yeah, has if no pro-lifers rights. Pro-lifers go back to the point of contention, which is when does life begin, and just point out that the spoken mirrors arguments are just smoke and mirrors yeah. arguments. Yeah, Dr. Johnson, I appreciate it. i got to run. I'm way late for news. I appreciate the discussion, sir. Thank you sir. so much. All right. T- yes, sir. Take care. Let's head on over to the WBT News Center now. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. we got this audio. I will get to it. Matt Gates takes Deborah Ross, North Carolina Congresswoman Deborah Ross, I don't want to say to the woodshed. I mean, he just dismantles her to the point where she's like, I'm done talking to you. She just she could not she could not answer basic questions that were in response to her own words. 
But uh, we got some folks waiting on the line. We'll get to Eileen. Hello, Eileen. Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking my call, Pete. Sure. Um, I totally am in agreement with you that life does begin at conception. I was part of the Operation Rescue in the 80s. We had a speaker come in and tell us that life just continues. It doesn't begin. You have a live sperm and a live egg. And so it just continues. Well, the whole thing is Yeah. Uh, if you kill if you kill it at conception or coming out of the birth canal, it's still killing. All right, life. so hang on, Eileen, hang on. I understand the point about uh, it's essentially it's a scientific argument. Energy itself, it's a continuum. It's it's a con- it's a continuation of the energy through you know person through mother through father, then through the fertilized egg, and then through a new life, and again and again and again. I I get that, but that is not a that's not a persuasive approach if you are in a discussion to say that because that would then indicate that anybody who engages in uh, certain activities that do not require another person, uh, then they would be able to respond something like, oh, well, then, so what, they're, you know, you're, you're, killing, you're killing life if you are not having sex with another person? See, it's, it's, it doesn't, it's not a good argument. I understand the point. It's an energy point. I understand that. And it's a, it, you could talk about, like, the philosophy and the grand scheme of things, but at a personal level, Making that kind of an argument is self-defeating because you're going to veer the people off into a into a uh, territory that is not as advantageous to you in your position. Well, does, does that it, make sense? Yes, it does. I, it's just the believers versus the non-believers. Well, see, that's and the thing, so, though. If you're well, but if you're trying to talk with people who aren't believers, then. How do you reach them to achieve your goal? What's your objective, right? What's the objective in the, in the conversation? If you're trying to help people see things your way, but they are not believers, then you have to appeal to them through reason, through science, right? Because it, it, you're not going to be able to make an argument from a religious standpoint, right? So how do you meet them where they are? How do you persuade them where they are? And that that argument about, you know, sperm and egg are life, they're not because they, a sperm does not become a human being without the egg and vice versa, right? It, it can't. Yes. It, the, you require both of those ingredients in order to make the person. So it just, it, I'm not saying you shouldn't believe it. I understand the concept that whoever the speaker was, I understand the concept that they were going for, and I agree, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a good way to persuade people. Uh, in the debate. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. But other than that, I mean... How do you convince? What do you do? I guess pray. Yeah. and, and, And to listen when people are making their arguments. And usually... If you give them enough, I, I, you know, there's an old uh, saying that a friend of mine I used to work with, he would say, you give them enough rope and they'll either make a noose or they'll make a swing. Right. It's up to them. And so I just that's that's my approach. Generally, when I'm having a conversation that is tricky, you know, that's controversial and I'll just ask them questions. And usually, like, I don't know about you, but like I tend to adopt positions and opinions that I think are correct. 
right? <laughs> I think you do too, right? We Otherwise, why do we yeah. have these beliefs? Why do we have these opinions, right? So if I'm confident in my opinion and my belief, I don't have any problem listening to somebody else's. The problem is, and this goes back to the, be- the beginning of the hour when I was talking about people that have not had their ideas challenged like pro-lifers have. When you don't have your ideas challenged, you get lazy. They're very easy to hold. I always say unchallenged ideas are easy to hold. It's easy to believe something when you never say it and no one ever pushes back on you, right? So right. that's that's where they have been for 50 years. There, Think about that. There are people, there are like generations of people here who have never had to actually formulate an argument in defense of, say, abortion on demand at any point. They don't even know these ideas. So that's why you just kind of ask them questions. Oh, why do you think that? And if you and the longer you let them answer the questions, the more the slogans, right, the, 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 the words and the euphemisms that they use in order to avoid saying the things, whatever, you eventually get to a point where it starts to kind of collapse on itself. And that's that's what we're hearing now in a lot of these hearings and such and in the debates. That's that that would be my recommendation. Good luck. Okay. All right. Okay. All right, Eileen, I appreciate the call. Uh, thanks so much. And I do. And I'm not saying she was wrong. I, I'm not trying to uh, to dis- uh, dissuade her from the from what that speaker said. But. Like I because I understand the concept, but it's not it's energy. It's not, I mean, I guess, yes, it is some form of life, but it is not human life at that point. It can be nothing else, but it requires something else in order to be so, right? And so this that is a very complex, nuanced, you're into, you know, you're into, what, biological or whatever it is, like, I'm not a scientist, not a biologist either. But you're, I mean, you're into the real sciencey stuff there. And I think that you kind of, you'll get, you'll get lost in the woods on that. Right, it because it becomes so bogged down in scientific knowledge and theory and all of this stuff. You know, you know, you're looking under microscopes to determine stuff. It's just very simple concept. When do rights attach? And just ask, when do the human rights attach? When do they, when do they begin? The rights. This and this way, you take the life argument out of it. When is it just about rights? Because that's really the issue. Because as the earlier caller, Dr. Johnson, was saying, there are all sorts of protocols developed for around, you know, when people are brain dead, they're in the hospital and that sort of stuff. When you, you know, you keep them alive. Remember the Terry Schiavo case, right? There are all of these protocols, all these ethical questions, all these tests and such and definitions. Why? Because that person's right to have agency over their own health care decisions and, yes, their life. But their own rights are being essentially taken away, right? They've lost them for whatever reason. Somebody else is making that call on their behalf. And so that's why I asked that question about when do rights attach. By the way, I've been asking that question for years, and I still don't have a very good answer from a lot of pro-choicers on it. We'll get to the audio up next. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone number is 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. We'll go back over here to, let's see here. Tim, welcome to the program. Hello, Tim. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. What's up? Uh, on this uh, Roe versus Wade and abortion, um, prior to Roe versus Wade, the, the state decided 
who was a person who had the right to live and who was going to die. And uh, after Roe was uh, passed, that elevated women to the status of the state. So in society, men and women cease to be equal in that regard. And uh, so now that we have overturned Roe, we are returning, we are turning that decision of who is a person and who has the right to life and who is going to die back to the state. Hmm. And that is equality. So that's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of it that way. The, um, uh, because the state determines, obviously, like when you're, you know, if I, if I kill you, the state charges me, right? Not your right. family, not your estate. The, the state determines and tries me. They determine whether uh, and what punishment I receive because they are representing the victim. They're representing the person that, cannot, that can no longer represent themselves. Yeah, and so we the, we the people, men and women, we give the state the authority over us, and thereby they making that decision, it is society that is deciding what is a human and who lives and who dies. Mm-hmm. But it is the state that's making the decision. So like I said, that's quality. That's the way it should be. Uh, Tim, appreciate the call. All right. All right. One. Thanks, you too. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, uh, what, which is what the Constitution lays out. That's what the rule book says. If it's not explicitly enumerated in the Constitution, then those powers are reserved for the people and the states. Let me go over here to Joe. Hello, Joe. Welcome to the show. What's up? Well, thank you for taking my call, as always, Pete. I appreciate it. I'm hoping I can phrase this properly, but one of the things I can think that the left is really upset about and why I get so visceral over this issue of, of abortion, Roe versus Wade, is because this is, in my opinion, besides maybe teaching evolution in school, has been their number one recruiting tool for the left. Because as women are taught growing up, your choice, your body, which, you know, I'm sure they easily embrace that philosophy, uh, not really thinking about it deeply, but just on the surface. And then, as they, as many of them do have abortions, and when they have those abortions, they go further into the left wing, you know, because they, they don't want to acknowledge they kill the life. Now, some of them do realize it and do turn, but many of them don't. Many of them basically because they don't want to face the evil that they've done, and they didn't do it alone, though. I want to say that. You know, they they had some help, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and I think our society doesn't give enough credit to that help. But anyway, but that's another story. But these women, because they have done this and refused to, you know, own up to it as being actually murder, they just, you know, they become left-wingers, and they become more visceral, visceral left-wingers. I just, yeah, that, and that's, that's prob- just, yeah, that's probably accurate for uh, for a healthy contingent of uh, of the movement. Sure, and then uh, it it provides ethical cover. Uh, you know, if you got two people in the room, and one of them is saying that you're a murderer, as you just said, and uh, the other one is saying you did nothing wrong, um, then chances are you're probably going to gravitate towards the one that is going to put their arms around you and say you did nothing wrong. You don't have to feel bad about that. You you shouldn't feel guilty about it at all. Um, I'm sure there's a healthy contingent that are out there like that. Sure. Joe, I, I, I do appreciate the call. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, why why guilt people over that topic when we can guilt them over having the babies and uh, and destroying the planet, right? By having the children. That's the that's where you should really feel your guilt is in reproducing and destroying the planet and for existing uh, in the first place and helping to destroy the planet and uh, being part of the whole overpopulation thing, right? Carry that guilt with you for Gaia Earth. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, people. Okay, let me go over here to Stan. Hello, Stan. Welcome to the program. What's going on? Hi, hi, Peyton. I'm glad you brought this subject up about the abortion issue. The very fact of the matter is Joe Biden right now goes out and wants the Congress now to codify Roe into law. Mm-hmm. The problem with them doing that is that you would have to come up with a one-size-fits-all abortion policy, which the Democrats wouldn't agree with. And so I think they intentionally did this up front with a court ruling. They always like to do what they want to do with court rulings, regulatory, regulatory agencies, and executive orders. Yeah, because persuading way, people in the legislative branch is hard. Right, and so therefore there was never a loss. And then for the last fifty years, they've gotten to do what they wanted to do mm-hmm. without having to justify, without having to justify their position. And that's why you will never get it codified in the law. I think right now, people that I talk to, that if you have, if you were to settle on a one size fits all, here's what you would probably come up with: like fifteen weeks, uh, exceptions for rape, incest, and 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 the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the dangerous for the life of, for the uh, life of the mother. Right. The Democrats wouldn't want that. So this was an attempt for them to force their opinions and what they wanted on all of us. Right, correct. Now, and, yeah. If, right now, now, if it goes back to the states, everyone can have what they want. If it's important enough to you and you don't like it where you are, then you get to move somewhere that is. Yeah. And that's uh, what's fair and that's what's moral. Stan, I appreciate the call um, up against the uh, the news break. And I think, that's, uh, I, I think that's true. That's why they always go to the judiciary in order to get done what they can't get done legislatively. Um, but if you look at what the Democrats have proposed to codify Roe v. Wade, one size fits all, it's radical. It's up to the point of birth. That's not a popular position. So I don't know if it'll actually pass or not. They're probably just using it to fundraise because that's all they've done in the last, what, six weeks or whatever it's been since uh, the Dobbs decision came down. 